Welcome to Men's Lifeline. My name is Zach, and I want to welcome you to the Men of Action, where we take men who have overcome the trials and the storms of life to unlock that inner warrior that they always knew they were. They just need a little bit of help and the guiding force to achieve it, where they were able to go from a zero to a hero. And I got a special guest for y'all. I have Chris Oldham right here in the guest. And this is his first ever podcast. So Chris, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Yo, what's up, man? It's good to be here. So I guess like a little bit about me, uh, you know, my name's Chris Oldham. Uh, I'm a cybersecurity engineer for my day job. I spent a lot of time on Twitter proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm a sinner that was saved. Um, and it was strictly through the forgiveness that Jesus uh, gave me uh, through his actions on the cross. And, uh, you know, I'm involved with my life group. Uh, that I love dearly, a bunch of men that are committed to growing and loving each other uh, the way that God commands us to in the Bible. Uh, I'm active in my church. I serve in the student ministry and the kids ministry. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just out here living life, loving it, uh, trying to be a light for people and uh, encouraging other men to step into their God-given purposes and uh, yeah, that's all about me. <laughs> no, that's awesome. They use your faith to really help you be that guiding force to really help you yeah. through this life, through the stores, through the storms that has happened to you. Uh, so, how long have you been like a Christian for? Yeah, so uh, I was actually saved October tenth, two thousand nineteen. I was in a Panera Bread of all places. Uh, before that, I had been struggling with different things, uh, primarily depression and double-mindedness. Um, the depression stemmed from uh, a lot of things in my life that had happened uh, growing up, uh, kind of starting way back early, even when I was you know, eight, nine years old. Uh, but some of the big things that kind of uh, moved that depression into my life and, and caused me to go down that road were uh, the death of my mother shortly before I left for, for the Navy. And then while I was in the Navy, about a year before that, I got out of the death of my father. And uh, at the time I was married and the relationship just uh, was not going well. And so when my father died and me being in this, you know, pretty bad marriage at the time, it just sent me into this spiraling depression. And I started drinking uh, really heavily, uh, more so than I had drank earlier in my Navy career. Uh, and it was not trying to have fun, but really just trying to drown those feelings and, and numb the pain that I was experiencing. And so that depression, I was on antidepressants for a long time. Uh, I got out of the Navy and I moved here to Dallas with my wife uh, that I was married to at the time. And, uh, you know, a lot of things just kind of continue to happen. Our relationship never really got better. Uh, at one point, I left for Florida, and I, I was basically running from all of the pain and the suffering that I was feeling at that moment. And I thought, if I moved to Florida, things were going to get better, right? I could just escape, uh, you know, the bad marriage that I was in, and I could escape uh, kind of the regrets that I had, uh, with different things that were going on in my life at the time and I got so when I got to Florida I realized that uh, 
all that stuff still existed, right? And and the double-mindedness in me still existed as well. And I'll get more into what double-mindedness is. Mm-hmm. But uh, while I was there, I realized that it was it it like it didn't really get better. In fact, it was worse than it was before because uh, now I had the the idea that like I had just left my wife uh, in Dallas, right? And so like that kind of broke me as a man because I I just felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up coming back, and then maybe like ten days later, I met up with the men's minister at this church that I had been involved with. And at the time, I didn't even really know if Jesus, I wasn't confident that Jesus was even a real person. Uh, I didn't know where the Bible came from. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so I just sat down with him and had a conversation with him and started asking him these questions. And that day I was born again. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, uh, an overwhelming encounter with the Holy Spirit. He literally overcame me. I was shaking. I was crying. I was laughing. I was like, what is happening to me? What is happening to me? And my men's minister at the time, his name is Jordan. He was just like, that's the Holy Spirit, bro. Like that's Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit in you. And he's jumping up, dancing. And there's people eating sandwiches all around us, like looking at us like we're crazy. And I just, I just remember like I had my arms like reached out and I was like, I get it. I finally get it. I finally get it. It was like the veil was lifted. Mm -hmm. And like the depression, the anxiety, the shame, the guilt, everything that I had carried with me literally got pushed. Like it felt like it all went out the back of me and the Holy Spirit had made a home inside of me. And I walked oh, wow. into that Panera Bread a different person than I walked out of that Panera Bread. Uh, I, I never took antidepressants again a day of my life. Uh, my mindset shifted uh, towards sin towards my uh, like desires that I had once had. I no longer had uh, my relationships with people. It all changed in an instant, thanks to Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, that's my kind of short story to salvation. But since that day, I've just lived in Jesus Christ's goodness, right? His grace, his peace, his love, everything that he he's given us. Like, I just continue to live in that. And mm-hmm. I, I want to share it with others because I know what it feels like to go through struggles and to go through things apart from him. And I've also experienced struggles being with him. And I could tell you without a doubt, it's much better. It is a much better experience when you have Jesus Christ there to walk with you. That's, that's incredible, man. That's, that's an incredible story going from, you know, handling the loss of your, your mom and dad and everything. That's not, I mean, as someone I work with that on a daily basis, that's not easy. No. You can feel very just lost and uncertain where to go. Yeah. Especially like, so with my mom, it was really tough because she was an alcoholic growing up. Like I grew up in bars, uh, you know, from the time I was seven years old, oh I was at the bar with my mom, right? And my stepdad, and they would be drinking, dr- getting drunk with their friends, right? Uh, whatever they were doing. And I would always either be hanging out, uh, playing shuffleboard or playing pool, or I'd be out back uh, throwing bottle caps or, you know, doing something just to occupy my time. And I always saw it as just a normal way to live Mm -hmm. because I didn't know any other way. And uh, as I got older, I started to kind of uh, be able to stay home by myself. And so I separated myself from going to the bars with my mom, but my mom never separated herself from that. 
And so she just continued down that path. And throughout my teenage years, uh, you know, my mom was heavily influenced by alcohol. She would drink pretty much on a daily basis. There were times that I would have to uh, actually pick her up from the bar or I would have to drive her home from the bar. Uh, And then as I got older, maybe around the age of 13, 14, and I'm going to get really real here because I want to make sure that people understand where I come from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't have uh, an influence. Like I didn't have a positive influence in my life. I didn't have uh, adults in my life uh, speaking to me on a daily basis. There were a few people here and there that I would reach out to, but as far as parents, I did not have that. And so what happened as a result was when I was 13, I started smoking weed with my friends, right? By 14, 15, I was drinking with my friends. I was going to house parties. We were going to the gas station and buying like uh, whatever alcohol we could get, right? We would get people that were older than us to buy it for us, Uh, different things like that. And I remember there were times when I would come home drunk as like a 16 year old and I would be stumbling into the yard that, uh, with my mom who was also stumbling into the yard because she had been out drinking, right? Like crazy, very yes. dysfunctional, absolutely uh, unacceptable. And, you know, looking back, but it was just an experience that I had to go through um, based on the situation that I was in. And so, for a long time, I resented my mom. And when she got diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, uh, I almost felt like she deserved it, right? Oh I, I had this mindset where I was like, you get what you deserve. You, mm-hmm. you, know, you made that bed, now lay in it. And it, it like never really brought me joy seeing the pain and the suffering that came with that cirrhosis that she was dealing with. Uh, but it, I was almost indifferent, right? Like I just didn't mm-hmm. really like care for a long time but then so my mom suffered with it for about three years before her death and I remember there was a shift in my mindset probably a year and a half two years in where I saw the changes that my mom was making she really truly wanted to live and uh, I saw her start to show up to family events Mm -hmm. more her and I were spending more time together we were playing cards or dominoes or something like that and um, I just like began to see that like she kind of regretted what she had done and and the life that she had lived and she truly wanted to continue to live uh, past and through the cirrhosis and so she did what she could so that she could be put on the list for a transplant and uh, you know looking back like those three years were probably some of the best three years that I ever had with my mom because at this time like I I had this time with her. And I was getting to know her and we were laughing together. And even in her sickness, she was like joyful, right? I have a tattoo on my, um, on my side here and it's mm-hmm. just a sun and it says, you are my sunshine. And I know a lot of people look at that and they're like, why do you have that on you? And it's because there was a really great memory that I have of my mother where we were in the hospital and this was towards the end of her life. She had a nurse named Sunshine. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was this young, like beautiful nurse. And she was always like really happy and she would come in and my mom loved her name. So like every time, like my mom was hooked up to all kinds of things like IVs and stuff. And this lady would walk in 
and she would start singing you are my sunshine <laughs> to her and it was just like really beautiful moment and a memory that I'll carry with me forever and so I got that tattooed on me because I just think when I think back about my mom and everything that she was before she got diagnosed and then all the suffering that she went through I I like to remember the the good moments and I just remember seeing my mom smile and and the happiness that that brought her so yeah uh you know towards the end of her life uh she was in the hospital for uh probably six months if I had like it was about oh six gosh. months straight. time yeah like everything started to fail in her body so cirrhosis of the liver is not a friendly disease whatsoever a lot of people don't realize how it progresses and how it gets worse so uh your kidneys start to fail right you're mm. not able to to you're not able to like process a lot of the fluids and stuff that you intake so you have to change your eating habits and my mom's stomach would swell up with this fluid and it would happen uh more and more as time went on but she would literally have to go and what they call getting drained and so they put a needle in you and they drain this bile off of your abdomen and like she would look pregnant and then right. they would drain like nine liters of this bile and then two weeks later she would have to go back in because it filled up again and within two weeks it filled up that much yeah. yes and it was like every two weeks she was having to get like nine liters of this like gross bile stuff drained off of her body and I would go with her all the time to do this because I didn't want her to be alone um side note like while I was going to the hospital with her to do this kind of stuff mm -hmm. oftentimes I gave more blood during that time than ever because as soon as like every time I got a chance to like they would let me because I got free parking and no. parking really <laughs> expensive so I would always like right go and try to give blood to get free parking but um anyways so it's good that they would charge you for parking yeah oh yeah they charge for everything at a hospital <laughs> like, they don't play around oh, um gosh but yeah, so, uh, you know, she just kind of like suffered like that last six months were some of the hardest months because they had reduced her fluid intake so much that she was allowed like, you know, I hold this up like that much water in a day, right? right? That's all that they would let her drink. And she was so thirsty. She was so dehydrated. Her mouth right. was so dry. I would go in there and she would be like, I wouldn't take drinks or anything because I didn't want to put that in front of her but she would oh, ask sure. me she'd be like give me some water give me some water I'm like mom we can't the doctors say you can't have that like if you're going to live long enough to get this liver we can't give you water right now like I know I'm sorry you're thirsty but like I want to listen to the doctors and then she would get kind of uh not violent but like confrontational with me and she's like well you don't love me you don't care about me I'm thirsty and I'd be like mom I'm I really would love to give you water but I want to listen to the doctors and then sometimes she would sneak into the bathroom and she would take paper towels and hold them under the water and wet them and then drink water through that. Like I would catch her doing that sometimes. Oh my gosh. So thirsty. And then her kidneys started to fail. So then she's like on these like dialysis machines mm -hmm. and all these things, right? Keeping her alive. And I remember like, so she went into surgery one morning and um, they basically, they were like, you know, we got a liver for her. And we were all really excited, but then they brought her back out and they were just like, you know what? She's too sick. She can't receive this liver. Like we have to give it to somebody who's going to be able to accept it. And they asked us, do you want us to keep her comfortable and keep her somewhat sedated? Or would you rather her wake up fully, but be in intense pain? And in that moment, it was a very easy decision. We wanted to keep her comfortable 
and keep her properly like, or uh, somewhat sedated. Um, and so that's what they did. And uh, yeah, that day, you know, everybody kind of started rushing to the hospital, the ones that weren't there, part of my family uh, to say their goodbyes. And I laid with my mom as she took her last breath that day. And it was just like one of the worst days of my life, um, seeing how much effort that my mom had put into kind of correcting mm-hmm. her, what her mistakes and it not panning out. And it, it just hurt me because at that moment, like I just saw her and I wasn't even a Christian at the time, but I just saw her as like a normal human being that had let things like addiction kind of take over her life. And it wasn't something that like she necessarily chose on a daily basis because I know how addiction works and I, I see how mm-hmm. people justify it and how, how much of a chain it can be. And, and it's really hard to escape an addiction once you're in it. And it takes more than just willpower. Like you almost have to have people literally pull you out of it. And that was something that maybe our family could have uh, done better at, mm-hmm. right? A lot of us uh, during her alcoholism um, would not necessarily condemn her, uh, but we we all just like, we would, we would say our piece, like we would say what we wanted to say to her, but then we would leave it at that. And we never took proactive actions and to pull her out, like we could have put her in a rehab or something like that. Right. And none of us really did that. And I, I, you know, obviously I have regrets, but I mean, I was just a teenager. Like I didn't know what to do. Like, I, yeah. I mean, how, how would you, I mean, seriously, how would you know what to do? I mean, you didn't really know about rehabs or, I mean, you might've heard of like AA alcohols, ominous and things right. like that in the 12 step program. But right. When you're a teenager, there's only so much, you know. Right. And so like, at this point, I'm 20 years old. My mom just died. I've already joined the Navy at the time. Like I failed my first two years of college, and uh, I have about four months before I leave for boot camp. And I was laid up on a couch for like two of those months. <laughs> like I didn't move at all. Um, I was staying with some friends of the family, and they were taking care of me, making sure I ate and things like that. And then. Uh, probably a month before I left for boot camp, they were like, you got to get up off the couch. Like you got to get moving again, right? Like you're about to leave the Navy. You can't be in this mindset when you go there. And so I actually got a job at Whataburger. (laughs) I was, uh, and I don't know if you know what Whataburger is where you live, but it's really big down here in Texas. Mm. And I I got a Huffy bike because I didn't have any vehicle. I didn't have any money. And so I was riding a bike uh, like five miles to work every morning. I would do shift. Yeah. I did the early shift and, um, I would get there at like five o'clock in the morning and, you know, I would help set up and I had my favorite customers. They were always old people that would come in and drink coffee and they bring like bags of pecans and different things like that. It was really cool. Uh, and I worked there and I mean, it was like three weeks in, I was, I started to like I was like in it, man. And I was, I was having fun. And like, I, I finally was starting to feel happiness again and more like kind of like a sense of purpose, mm-hmm. right. Um, still healing from the death of my mom, but it definitely helped uh, set me up for having the right attitude going into boot camp Because when I went into boot camp, I had to go in um, not carrying that weight that I was carrying before about my mom's death because it would have just absolutely destroyed me. 
And so uh, I went in and I just had like this like really good mindset about, uh, you know, I'm here for a purpose. I actually have uh, a future in the Navy, right? I can make a career out of this if mm-hmm. that's something that I want to do. I uh, had discipline, uh, had three square meals a day. <laughs> so that was a blessing, um, just everything about it. And yeah, that just kind of launched me into my Navy career. But man, like talk about like losing your mom. Like I know a lot of people go through that. Uh, everybody does eventually at one point in their life, uh, some at a younger age, some at an older age, but it's not easy no matter what age uh, you lose your mother. But I mean, it's something that we experience and, uh, you know, we just have to somewhat prepare ourselves for um, and, and just understand that, you know, that's what life is, right? Um, about life and death <laughs> yeah just of life you know so yeah i gotta say i mean i just you know appreciate your honesty and just being raw and just being opened and sharing all this pain that you've you know had to work through i know you mentioned like kind of having resentment for your mom i mean how how's that been now like since you've been like a christian and really learning about like forgiveness and yeah so how's that been yeah. for you yeah, absolutely, bro. So, uh, you know, looking back, like I said, I already started to have those feelings towards her towards the end mm-hmm. of her life where I saw her just as like a person who right. had up in addiction. Now I see that it was sin that was keeping her there, right? And mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't any grace in her life, not from me, not from my family, not from my stepfather, right? There was no grace. There was no forgiveness for her, which drove her, I think, further into sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, looking back, I, I just, I just love my mom, uh, for who she was. She, you know, I did have a roof over my head. I did have uh, food in my belly, uh, you know, and those last three years that I had with her, uh, were absolutely incredible, uh, as far as getting to know my mom and building that relationship. And so when I look back, I, I focus on the good memories, uh, specific, you know, like the one with the, you are my sunshine. And I love uh, that one, by the way, that's just, that's just, that's like the, probably the most precious thing I've heard all day. And I no no joke, seriously. It's like so precious. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just like, I just forgive her. Right. That's, that's the, that's the whole thing about Jesus Christ is like, you know, he forgives us uh, when we sin and when we mess up and when we sin against others. And that's what we're expected to do mm-hmm. uh, for other people. And so I've reconciled my mom's death uh, through that. And that also uh, becoming a Christian helped me reconcile my dad's death too. Cause that was another one that really, that one hit me really, really hard. And I think it was because I was in a bad marriage at the time as well. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a Christian uh, and he used to, you know, preach Jesus to me all the time. And I never really understood it. Uh, I didn't, he would tell me, Jesus loves you, right? Jesus forgives you. He's there with you. And it just never really made sense to me. Sure. And when he died, I was, I was pretty broken up because he died of a drug overdose. And, uh, you know, again, I'm like, man, like why is addiction just keep like wrecking the people in my life, right? Like, why do they keep yeah. making choices to do that? 
and uh, you know, to get like on that road to addiction. And uh, yeah, I carried that with me for a while until I was saved. And finally, like, you know, after I was saved, I like started thinking back and I was able to forgive my dad because again, I saw that, you know, it was Satan that was behind the scenes manipulating him. Uh, and, and it was the sin that had a grasp on him that he wasn't, uh, he just wasn't able to escape. Right. Like, right. Uh, you well, know, addiction's think, hard. Yeah. I mean, addiction is, I mean, that way that drug becomes the center focus of everything. I mean, it changes the brain, changes the chemistry. Yeah. And it's you make excuses since... and you'll like, you'll justify it all day long. Right. Right. You'll, you'll say, oh, well, it's not an addiction. Like my mom, my mom used to tell me all the time. She's like, uh, I don't, I'm not addicted to alcohol because I don't drink in the morning. That was what she would tell me. And I'm like, so she must've saw someone who would literally drink in the morning and was like, yep, that's an alcoholic. Yes. Right. But be... she didn't see that drinking every night was right. still alcoholism. Right. And so like you justify that stuff. You do. And it's hard because a lot of times people pain is one of the most difficult things for anyone to endure. Yeah. And depending on what kind of background your mom had, your dad had to cover up and mask that pain is what drugs are known for. Right. It's an empty, it's a, it's definitely uh, a way to like try to fill yourself up with something that's going to leave you empty. And it's like that with all sin, right? Once you become absolutely realize that, everything all the things that you think are filling you up are really just like fast food for your soul right like they might preach man (laughs) they might just give you that momentary satisfaction but it's actually making you sicker and killing you in the long run and it's good in the moment sour the next yes exactly right like that's why you know um like promiscuity right and and just like casually sleeping around with people Mm. like like you might feel good in the moment, but no one can deny the fact that when you're laying in bed that night by yourself, you don't feel some kind of disgust or some kind of loneliness or something, right? Because that's what it does. Like Satan loves to um, like present sin as something good, right? Mm -hmm. And it does look good. And sin is pleasurable. That's the, that's why it's so enticing. Mm -hmm. There's so much temptation to want to go to sin because it's pleasurable, but it doesn't, fulfill you it doesn't sustain you right it doesn't give you true peace true fulfillment it's it actually separates you from the only one who can give you those things and that's jesus christ right that's, that's right. Right. right so it's 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 a completely different mindset once you're a christian to sin and when you've been um born again and, and filled with the holy spirit like now you have a helper you have someone there to give you discernment and to help you uh, see when you might be stepping into something, right? Like a lot of people will think, oh, like if I'm a Christian and I do this, I'm stepping out of line, right? And that's not what it is. It's not what it is at all. Excuse me. You're not stepping out of line. What you're doing when you're stepping into something that's going to harm you, right? God puts up boundaries, not because he doesn't want us to have fun. He's protecting us, right? right? Keeping us in that, that peace and that 
fulfillment that he can give us. And if we step out, like step out of what he had, those boundaries he's put us in, now we're, now we're outside of his will, right? Like God can't be in the presence of sin. Mm-hmm. And so he wants us to remain in him. And to do that, we have to remain out of sin, right? And so, right. which yeah. is not easy, especially when you really get to understand what a sin is when you get the angry or right. just even look, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, can get you big trouble. <laughs> right, exactly, right? Like, uh, you know, lusting after somebody, that's a sin, right? That's cons- uh, because if you had the opportunity, people think it's like a thought crime, right? To, to lust or to be angry. And that's a, how that's a, a sin. But it's like, no, because if, if you're lusting, if you're angry at somebody and you had the opportunity to murder them, you probably would, right? Like that's, that's why when Jesus talks about... Uh, the you know the different sins he, he's like i'm not abolishing the law i'm fulfilling it mm, there we go even lusting or, or being angry at somebody is the same as doing xyz is because if given the opportunity we would uh, and just kind of wrapping things up and i, I want to address this because we just have a few moments left is you mentioned in the beginning you're talking about double minus so could you just like in a minute <laughs> kind of define what for you what double minus is and then how are you impacting your family, your friends, and then you and your community? I would love to hear that as we kind of wrap things up a little bit and then kind of some final thoughts that you have for the audience. Uh, yeah, dude, absolutely. <laughs> so I just go on rambles and I know no, you're, you're cool. Cast, so. <laughs> no, I, I, I love, I love your story, man, but just out of respect for your times, I know yeah. it's getting close <laughs> and just in a little bit of transparency right there's only about like eight minutes and 30 seconds off zoom that we can record for before it shuts off so nice okay we'll have to do this again uh oh i'd love to have you back on again and there's just so much to like dive deep especially since i'm in the world of mental health and as a clinical therapist so i'm in this on daily basis right so okay yeah absolutely uh so i'll share what double-mindedness is so what double-mindedness is is uh it's almost like you have two persons inside of you so one person will want to do the righteous thing, will want to live a moral life, mm-hmm. and, and you will actually feel like you really want to live that life. And there's so much more I could go into about this. Uh, and then you'll have this other part of you that wants to do sin thing, like sinful things, wants to go out and drink and party mm-hmm. and do drugs and all those kind of things. And that part of you oftentimes will uh, take control. And, and it's almost like you can't you can't even fight it, right? It's like a whole other part of you. And then the next day you'll wake up and you're like, oh man, I'm going to do good again. I'm going to do righteous things. I'm going to go hang out with righteous friends that are living moral, healthy lives. And then Thursday, Friday rolls around. Now you're like, oh man, now I want to go do all this other stuff that's really bad that I would never even tell my friends on the other side about. So that's what double-mindedness is. It's like, and when you're suffering with double-mindedness, you're almost like, being tossed around by waves, right? Like it talks about that Mm. in the Bible. It's like you can be manipulated to go either direction uh, based on who you're around. And it's just not a very stable way to live. And from my experience, the only way to cure that double-mindedness is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and being born again, right? He can do that for you. He can cure those things for you uh, but you have to humble yourself and, and trust in the promises that he's made uh, as far as 
uh, living a sin, sinless life, dying on the cross, paying the price for our sins, and giving us that ability to have a relationship with God the Father again, as long as we put our faith in him. And you have to put your all of your faith, you have to put all of your trust in the promises and the things that Jesus did on the cross. And if you do that, he will he will deliver you from all of those things. He can, and he has the will, he has the will to do it, and he has the power to do it. We just need to be obedient to do it. Yes. Absolutely. And it's why it's a relationship and us doing things together versus just being told. And that's when you kind of get a little bit into free will into the mixer too. Right. Yeah, we're gonna have to definitely do this again. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. I can't believe this is I, I'm not gonna lie. I can't believe this is like your first time doing a like a podcast and talking about it because you're very elegant, you're flowing very good, and like dude, <laughs> gotta 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 bring you back on again. I'm sure everyone's gonna love yeah. it. I could talk to you for like four hours and it, like my the problem is is like my brain is all over the place and I my thoughts go a different many different directions and so sometimes I don't feel like I make a full complete story I'll just kind of like jump around and I'll, I'll talk about things that I wasn't even planning on talking about so yeah man like there's just hey, so that's the whole purpose of this podcast that that's why you know to encourage men to help men just have some brotherhood here and just have a conversation that way it's not too scripted just so let's see what the conversation goes. Let's have fun with this. This is, this is us trying to be a light to other men who are struggling out there. And that's the whole purpose of this podcast. So that we can show people that you can be a man of action. You can go from struggling to being a hero. And this is your story. Right. That's why your story is so incredible because it's your own personal story. Can I, how much time do we have left? Uh, less than five minutes. Less than five minutes. Okay. So kind of final thoughts, right? Yes. Um, Aside from uh, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to do that. I, it's the best thing that you could ever do uh, in your life, right? Uh, I encourage men to not be ashamed of the things that they're going through because we all go through struggles. A lot of times we struggle with things and we think we're the only ones that are struggling with that when the person literally sitting right next to us could be going through the exact same thing. And it's so important that we lean on our brothers uh, and we we express to them how we're feeling. Uh, it's okay to have emotions, right? It's okay to uh, cry. It's okay to do that kind of stuff. There's a lot of accounts Amen. on Twitter that will tell you that it's not okay. It absolutely is okay to do that. And uh, to seek community, uh, that's another really big aspect of my message and uh, I encourage you to not only seek online community uh, through, um, you know, maybe some of the things you see on Twitter or through Facebook, right, but to seek an in-person community because nothing beats having people in your physical presence that you can actually lean on, that you can put your hand around their mm. shoulder and pray with, right, that you can hug, that you can, like, just be with, right? So I always encourage uh, to, to get in the community both online and in person, if anybody ever has any questions about how to do that, they can obviously reach out to me. Uh, I wanna help people. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know where to start. If, if you can't find a community that you fit into or that you enjoy, you can always build your own community. And it's not as hard as it seems. It's really not, there's it's tons just, of- It's just a lot of grind as we both know, it's a lot of grind. <clears throat> it's a lot of grind, but there are different ways that you can do right. that. I started a park workout because I didn't have any friends. And guess what? I've made a lot of friends just from doing a park workout. That's awesome. Uh, 
and, and I can go into detail on how I did that. I know I've made a thread about community on my uh, Twitter profile, but if anybody has any uh, questions or, or anything like that, uh, feel free to reach out to me and I would love to help you get started either finding or building your own community. And then, um, yeah, just, just remember to keep your focus off what is in front of you. A lot of times we focus on our problems so much that they become these huge mountains in our lives. And remember the, the eternal um, promises that God has, has given us, right? We are uh, sons and daughters of, of the most high, right? And we're destined for heaven. And so uh, just keep your focus on that. And yeah, that's all I have. I love it, man. And of course, to help find you, all the links to his Instagram, Twitter, and you only, and I don't want to forget this, one of the most important parts with Chris, Isaac the stud, his dog. Yes. His Isaac. dog and his smile, the two just are priceless together. I mean, they're like a match made in heaven almost. Like, just like how you guys look and you both, I mean, I have a, you'll be seeing this in the thumbnail and everything, but just like Isaac, just his giant smile, your giant smile. It's awesome. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone for watching this. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Remember, this is Men in Action, helping men become 1% better in life. So that way they can go and reclaim the life and unleash that warrior with inside you that you can. Ooh. So I hope everyone has a blessed day and I'll see you guys. Mm -hmm.